Elliott. Elliott for the touchdown. No flags. Cowboys lead. Nine seconds left. It's 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, and I'm the only one in the room. Don is in the basement this week dealing with the children, and uh, Anthony is not here either, and in one hour, I will be watching the Saints and the Panthers, so I'm just kind of dealing with the podcast on my own. Uh, trying to get through this last hour, I'll tell you that Saints game last week, it took about three or four weeks probably off my life. That is not a cool way to lose a game. Not cool at all. A kick two? I don't even know what you call it when you get your extra point blocked and returned for two points. And that's how you lose the game. The funniest thing about it was after the Broncos had scored the two points to take the lead and... It was being reviewed. I was thinking about how much time Breeze would have. And I just have to drive back down and, and get a field goal. And then it hit me that we don't even have the ball. We have to try to do an onside kick, which is obviously unsuccessful. So that was no fun. And we'll see what happens tonight. It's a 50-50 game. I have no idea if they'll win or lose it. But uh, yeah, what can you do? So. Here's where we're at for tonight. It is Season 6, Episode 31. Uh, it's November 17, 2016. We won't have a show next week. We'll be off for Thanksgiving. And then after that, we'll come back and finish the season. Hopefully get three or four episodes in before we finish Season 6. I know one guest in those three or four episodes will be Joe Buck. Uh, he'll be on to talk about his book. He's been just about everywhere this week. Uh, we'll talk about that more in the book club. Uh, but tonight we have a great show. Jeff Perlman. Uh, author, his book, Gunslinger, uh, his book about Brett Favre, is uh, going to be discussed when we have Jeff on later. And also Jimmy Trena, formerly of Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports, uh, will be on the podcast to talk about sports media. And I'll say this about both interviews. Jimmy and Jeff, if you follow them on Twitter, they're both at their names, so at Jeff Perlman or at Jimmy Trena on Twitter. They're very political guys. They tweet about politics a lot. And one thing I've tried to do as much as possible on this podcast is keep all of that noise out of it. You know, it's not a politics podcast. I don't feel comfortable talking about politics. You know, I feel it's really difficult to be honest about how you feel and how you think because we're not a very tolerant society if you don't agree with our opinion. And I don't want to lose listeners because people don't like my politics. We don't have enough of them for that. Jeff and Jimmy, they feel very confident in the amount of listeners they have and readers and uh, tweeters and followers and all that. And it's all they talk about. So it's hard for me to not talk about that as well, especially with Jeff. Uh, so there is a little bit of politics in this episode. It was just unavoidable. It'd be silly for me to interview a Jeff Perlman or a Jimmy Trainer this week and not talk about that. It's all they talk about. 
Um, but that's not all we did. With Jimmy Trina, it was very little, just at the tail end of the of the interview. And with Jeff, it was maybe the first 10 minutes or so. Uh, also appearing with Jeff is his son, Emmett Perlman, uh, who jumps on the phone to tell a story about Brett Favre's farts. Uh, so there was that. So we got those two great interviews today. Also, I'll update the book club because the book club, which was flush with all these books, is slowly starting to uh, to diminish of responsibility uh, here. So we'll go through what's left and what we have available. We still have books to give away if people want them. Uh, and then we will finish out with one last thing. One last thing will be mostly me going over the transition to SoundCloud, where we're at, how's it going, um, and uh, we'll talk about that, and maybe I'll do one last thing as uh, well beyond that. But uh, let's get it started. Let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. On the count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll kick it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. Three things for tonight. Let's start with the Major League Baseball awards because they have uh, been slowly being awarded over the last couple of days. And boy, did Kate Upton have one of the tweets of the century. Maybe you missed it, maybe you didn't, but Justin Verlander, who's engaged to Kate Upton, finished second in the Cy Young voting, uh, losing out to the Red Sox pitcher. And uh, it was one of those weird votes where he had 14 first place votes, which was by far the most. And second place had eight. And you'd think that that's such a huge gap that he'd be able to win it. And Joe Poznanski wrote a really interesting article on his blog today, kind of explaining the points and how it's totaled. And how with all those first place votes and the gap between the two, you'd think it'd be insurmountable. Unfortunately, two people left. Verlander off of their off of their ballot altogether uh, so that didn't help his case although if they both put him fifth uh, which would have been the last possible spot on their ballot he still would have lost so it's not like that was the only reason he lost although obviously it didn't help you know it didn't help at all uh, I'm trying to get yeah here's the voting results so Rick Porcello, who won the award for the Red Sox, had eight first place votes, eighteen second place votes, and two. Thir- I'm one of the smartest players on the field oh, because I'm good. obsessed with studying film. Let's Thank watch you. one about those crackers. Sherman on an auto video on Bleacher Report. Thank you for the audio, uh, the auto video Bleacher Report. Always appreciate that. So the final vote was one thirty-seven to one thirty-two. Verlander had the fourteen first place votes, two second place votes, five third place votes. Corey Kluber was third uh, with 3, 6, and 12. Uh, so Verlander misses out on the award. And Kate Upton not pleased. She tweeted, Hey, at MLB, I thought I was the only one allowed to fuck Justin Verlander. So she was very disappointed uh, with, with the voting. Uh, and went on to argue with people. And really, really was pretty funny. Max, Max Scherzer won... The National League Cy Young in pretty dominant fashion. Uh, he had 25 first place votes. 
Uh, John Lester had one, and Kyle Hendricks had two. I honestly thought that it would be closer, that Lester had a chance at this, but Scherzer won uh, running away. He's the first... Well, I don't know if that's true, but he's one of many now, I guess, uh, a few that have won it in both leagues. He won a few years ago uh, with the Tigers, so he's an American League winner. Uh, a six-pitcher, six-pitcher, uh, Perry, Pedro, Martinez, Rick Johnson, Roger Clemens, Roy Halladay were the others uh, to win the Cy Young in both leagues. So Scherzer does that. 20 wins, 250 Ks. And a sub-200 opponent batting average uh, gave him the award. So, sick. That's a sick season. Congratulations to them. The MVP was announced today. John Lester didn't win the Cy Young, but Chris Bryant did win the MVP. And he did so going away, really. Uh, Kind of a huge, huge victory in the NL MVP for for Chris Bryant. Uh, Chris had... And I don't know if CBS is going to start an ad on us as well. They might. Uh, Chris Bryant of the Chicago Cubs. He's 24 years old and he had 29 of 30 uh, first place votes, which is uh, pretty pretty damn good. Uh, so Chris Bryant uh, wins the MVP. The other first place vote went to Daniel Murphy of the Nationals. So the Nationals uh, in a lot of the uh, a lot of the voting as well. So. Congratulations, Chris Bryant. Mike Trout won the other MVP. So he's played in the league five years, and he's either won it twice or finished second three times, which is ridiculous. Uh, Five seasons, never finished worse than second in the MVP voting, which is pretty sick. Uh, So congratulations to Mike Trout. There were some other awards earlier in the week. Rookie of the Year, I think Corey Sager won in the NL. Uh, But you can look those up. Uh, what else did I want to talk about in three things today? Uh, those are the Major League Baseball awards. Oh, UFC 205, Conor McGregor. We talked about it last week with Anthony. And uh, Conor McGregor uh, didn't mess around. and He he defeated uh, his opponent. Did Alvarez. Knocked him out in the second round. Cut a wrestling promo. Like only he can. Said he apologized to absolutely no one. Uh, I was tweeting with uh, Mike Doherty from the L Bulldogs uh, after, who's a big fan, and he was all fired up. I should try to get in touch with him. Maybe if uh, Mike's available, he'll come on one last thing with me and talk about McGregor. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see what's up next for him. McGregor's the biggest star in UFC, uh, and UFC will make noise one more time this year. Uh, for the return of Ronda Rousey. Uh, so we'll see uh, what happens with that. Uh, the college football had chaos last week. 2-3-4 and four loss for the first time in the same week since 1985. Uh, last night, uh, the college football bowl committee updated the top five or top four in the country. And, um, you know, Ohio State was the big winner in the chaos. Uh, as they moved up. It'll be interesting uh, to see what happens with Ohio State. Will they be the first team uh, to not win the conference championship but get into the college football playoff? So they're going to have a time, hard time winning it because they lost to Penn State. So unless Penn State loses a Big Ten game, they're not going to be able to play in the championship game. 
Uh, so that will be interesting. I never get too worked up about uh, the college football playoff standings until the last one. You know, we had the first year where who was a TCU was in the playoff and then they won the Big 12 championship the next week and didn't make the playoff. Uh, so with that being the case, there's really no point. Uh, Oklahoma moved up to number nine. They'll play West Virginia on Saturday night at eight o'clock on ABC. Uh, they are very much on the outside looking in still, but I guess they have a chance to make it, I guess. Not much of a chance, but a little bit more chaos, and they win their games, and who knows. Um, as for the NFL, they had a big week last week, obviously a bounce-back week in the ratings. Uh, Sunday was a magical day for them. A lot of people will talk with uh, Jimmy Traina about this. You know, A lot of people have been a little hesitant to call it a comeback just yet uh, because... The uh, Cowboys and Steelers is about as bankable of a game as you can have. And then at night they had the Seahawks and the Patriots, which is a rematch of the highest rated Super Bowl of all time. So was it the games? Is it that the election is over? We'll have to give it a few weeks and see. Uh, But the NFL is officially in the second half. Um, And we'll have to see. We'll have to see how the Saints and Panthers do today. They'll get... Uh, this week started. And then the matchups just on paper aren't as good this week. Uh, there isn't any, you know, the game of the week this week uh, is at 425. In that 425 window, you're looking at Eagles Seahawks. Uh, I'm sure CBS was hoping that Patriots 49ers would be a huge game. But the 49ers are 1 and 8. No one's watching that game. So they're going to have to go to the 5 and 4 Eagles, 6 and 2 Seahawks. Could be a great game, uh, ratings wise. I'm sure they're disappointed the Packers aren't doing a little bit better because at 8.30 on NBC, it's Packers and Redskins. 5-3 and three Redskins been playing better recently versus the fading Packers who are at 4-5. Uh, and five. Uh, and then on Monday night, they have the Raiders and Texans uh, from Mexico City. So we'll talk more about that uh, when we get back from break. But that's kind of the landscape of sports as I see it right now. Just kind of a few different things bouncing in and out of some stories. I should try to see if we can get Mike Doherty from Yale on to talk a little bit more about Conor McGregor. He knows a lot more than I do, and he's excited maybe to talk. And if he's available, we'll do that in three things. But for right now, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Jimmy Traina, who was at Sports Illustrated. Then he was doing stuff for Fox Sports. He's gone from there now, and he's doing some pieces for uh, Comeback, Comeback and also Awful Announcing. And we'll see what is in his future. And talk to him about sports media and the Howard Stern Show. I love talking Stern with Jimmy. He's a big Stern fan. So we'll do that. Uh, Then we'll be back for the book club update. We'll do the Jeff Perlman interview after that. And then we'll close out the show with some SoundCloud updates. I have a plug to read. um, And uh, we will lay out everything with uh, the podcast, where it is, all those types of things. And we'll finish out the last episode before Thanksgiving. All right. We'll be right back with Jimmy Traina.
All right, our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of CW Post University. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jimmy Traino. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing? Great intro song. Get you pumped up, right? Yeah, seriously. And I was listening to that, though, getting you know, getting ready to hear Howard's voice. So <laughs> it, threw me, it threw me for a loop for a little bit. Definitely a letdown. Hey, you yeah, know, I want to talk about Stern, and that kind of leads us into it a little bit. If you figure around September after you get a slow summer, he does some shows, he takes some time off, and then you figure it's kind of like the new season starts in September in some way. If we were making that, I guess, analogy, this has probably been my least favorite season. Did you say your least favorite season? Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been listener since about ninety four, ninety five. Mm-hmm. And it's not a lack of strippers or anything like that. I think what the show has lost for me is its authenticity. I feel like everything I'm listening to is always a work. It's always like watching Monday Night Raw. The phone calls are works. The bits are works. You know, the only authentic thing usually is the interviews. I think it, I think it's always been that way. I just think we know more about it now. Um, I mean, I've always said, you know, just as an example that famous show when um, he announced he was re-signing it serious, but Sal was late and right. started crying. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, I never for a second thought that was real. Um, and he's always, this. I mean, this goes even back to the K-Rot days. I mean, he's always used the phone calls to basically set up where he wants to go or, or for the callers to ask, you know, bring up topics, you know, he may not want to bring up but wants to discuss. So, um, I don't know, maybe we're just more aware of these things now with the internet and, and everything, but uh, to me, I, whether something is uh, um, pre-planned or not pre-planned, to me, if it's funny, it's funny. So, you know, Sal and Richard last week talking about uh, Richard's bachelor party is funny, whether that was planned or not. Uh, and, you know, Ronnie fighting with Brent two weeks ago is funny whether it's planned or not. So, I don't know, I judge it by, you know, is it funny and entertaining more than, you know, is it planned bits or planned calls or or whatever the criticisms are. You know, my number one thing was always the first hour of a show after a break. And the mics would go on and they would just sort of talk to each other in the room about whatever had happened over the break or the weekend. uh, And it felt authentic and even if you know even if they had planned it a bit it just didn't seem so forced and now it's like the mics go on and within eight minutes we're going to commercial already you know it's i feel like some of the flow is gone well i think he's i mean i think there's two things there i mean one you know it always feels like the show is coming back from a break just because he only does three days a week true um and the other thing is i, I mean i definitely think he has made a conscious decision to not share um any of his life, where in the past, you know, he shared everything. Right, and that's hurt and, the show. That has hurt the show, in my opinion. Um, I mean, maybe it has, but for me, I understand where he's coming from. He, you know, he's 63 years old. He's got three grown daughters, adult daughters. So, you know, if he doesn't want to share his life, I, I'm not going to blame him for that. I, yes, I guess it is a little bit jarring when he used to share everything, and now he, he really shares nothing. Um, but again, I go back to what I said before, you know, 
if he's not sharing his life, it, the show can still be entertaining and funny, but that's how I judge it. So, um, not only you know, is he I, not sharing, I, I, I mean, I guess it's, I, I think from what I saw online, he mentioned it too. I guess it's like his daughter recently got married and he, you know, he didn't say one word about that when in the past he would, you know, spend basically a whole show, like, you know, breaking it down. And, you know, now he's got grown daughters and, you know, he's got his marriage and, you know, he's, he's, on, he's in the twilight, you know, he's, he's, you know, not much time left. So I think he's just doing the show the way he wants to do the show. And it's either take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been leaving it a lot more than I ever had in the past. That's for sure. And it's not just Howard who's not sharing his life anymore. I mean, you always hear Artie talk about how he was the most open book in radio for 10 years. And he was, you don't have that anymore. You don't have anyone like Artie filling in the gap and sharing their lives. You know, uh, Sal and Richard, who you mentioned, they're not as funny as they used to be. Sal will often say the same thing Howard does. Oh, I got adult kids now. I can't go to those levels anymore. You know, and like one thing that they've been doing that I think is really funny is the prank calls to the internet radio shows because I think they're not as limited by the laws as much. So those feel a lot more authentic. The other day they played a call that was to the, the, um, the guy who does the characters on the phone, like the Jeff, the drunks bump or whatever. It was that guy answered and he was like playing sound effects and they were passing it off as a prank phone call. And it just, I don't know. It just takes me out of the moment. I know that Artie and uh, Artie had said a bunch of things online, and you were on Twitter kind of defending Howard quite a bit. And I just thought so much of what Artie was saying was ringing true. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, I mean, you'd have to give me a specific. I mean, I've said that. I mean, the show has changed. I just, I mean, I just said the show has definitely changed. Um, and uh, you know, I, I like I said, Howard's made a conscious decision to change the show to sort of rebrand himself as the best entertainer and the best interviewer in entertainment. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, well, I just what... don't know why that means he has to blackball former people. He needs to close off the hallways and serious and make people wait in the hallway when he walks by, you know, he well, needs but, to, well, why does I mean, he need he, to be such clear, a prick? He clearly doesn't want to be bothered. And he's, you know, he's always been sort of a recluse and he's always had a weird, kind of, you know, OCD personality, and I guess the guy was, I don't know, like, not a, taunting is not the right word, but I guess he was, you know, sarcastically saying hello and good morning to him every morning, so being that Howard basically runs serious, he had the hall shut down. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think Howard's a grown man, he could be able to walk through the halls with someone saying hello to him in a sarcastic way. He could have just said hello back, and it probably would have ended the sarcasm as well. Well, I mean, but if he doesn't want to talk to the guy, that's his right. I mean, right, and he doesn't want to talk to Artie either. He doesn't want to talk to Artie either, which is pretty pretty weak. You know, he doesn't want. He said he doesn't want to talk to Artie either. That seems pretty weak. He doesn't want to talk to people like Gilbert Gottfried. He doesn't want. I mean, there's the list of people he doesn't want to talk to is outrageous. Well, I mean, you mentioned two people. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I, I, I. I mean, I understand why he's cut Artie off. I don't. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think Howard, I mean, I'm just playing. Right, yeah, yeah, do it. I, no, yeah, do it. I, I'm just playing pop, pop psychiatrist here, but um, I think maybe Howard, I mean, listen, fans of the show, uh, most, I think most fans of the show, I don't want to speak over it, I think most fans of the show think that Howard either enabled Artie or 
just chose to ignore Artie's issues. And, and what I mean by that is, I know Artie has said that Howard tried to help him send him to rehab, et cetera, et cetera. But what Howard should have done was thrown him off the show or suspend him. But Howard always kept Artie on the show despite every single one of Artie's issues. Right. And then Artie goes and takes a steak knife and plunges it into his gut nine times and tries to kill himself. Right. That's what addicts so, do. I mean, that's I'm what not addicts gonna, do. So, right. So I'm not going to judge Howard on how he treats Artie because that's obviously an issue that Howard and that is that I think rocked Howard's life. And I think Howard thinks that the best thing for Artie is to be away from the show in any way, shape or form, considering, you know, the show probably played a big role in his addiction and his suicide attempt. So I think Howard's probably doing it, you know, in a way for Artie's best interest, because Artie, I mean, the issues that that guy had, I understand he's an addict and I, I have nothing but sympathy for him. But it's still a workplace. It's still a company. You know, Howard's the boss. Um, no, Marcy's the boss. Remember? <laughs> Have you been listening? Marcy's in uh, charge. Yeah, I don't buy any of that. <laughs> that's, that's all complete internet trying to be inside and acting like they have the scoop. It's it's the Howard Stern show. Right. And Howard Howard has been funny about playing into that kind of like. And he would, he, and he would never, ever do anything or not do anything that yep. he wanted to do or not do. So yep. that's anyone who believes that is off their rocker. So I think, listen, if you take the, if you took, you know, an average person who showed up to work on heroin constantly and, you know, and then the, and then the job sent him to rehab and paid for it and then he ditched it and didn't go to rehab and then attempted to kill himself. But most people probably wouldn't have that job afterwards either. So. You know, just because Artie's a funny guy and everyone loves him, I mean, it's still a you know a work an employee employer relationship. Yeah, and I I get that he definitely shouldn't have the job. I don't I don't think any I don't think I at least am sitting here thinking, hey, you know, Howard needs to let Artie take that chair back. But like to deny advertising for his book seems a little outrageous. You know, to not. To say, yeah, give me a call, then ignore his phone calls. I'm taking yeah, Artie's word, that by the one way. I, that one I don't really get because you still hear Artie every single day on Stanthology. So it's not like he's not – it's not like he doesn't have any presence whatsoever on the on Howard 100 or right. Howard 101. Um, so that one I don't get at all. And uh, I don't know. That was strange to me that they wouldn't take the advertising for it. I mean, you know, it's the, the only thing I can think of is maybe they think, you know, I mean, clearly, clearly, Howard's made the decision that there's going to be zero relationship there in any way, shape, or form. So, if that's the decision he made, then I guess you know, not even getting involved with the advertising is is part of that. I'm not, you know, I think it's more, you know, I think there's a lot of personal stuff there that you know, the audience doesn't really want to consider. They just, you know, they think Artie's a great guy and Artie's funny, which is true, but you know, I think. I don't think enough people look at it from Howard's perspective. I mean, he had already, you know, attempted suicide, and then right after that, Robin almost died from cancer, and I think Howard decided, you know, to tighten up things. Let me ask you this. I know we're both sports guys, so maybe our opinions are biased, but maybe yours would be even be different now. The mm -hmm. other day, would you have rather heard Howard interview Joe Buck or who was it, Griffin that day? Um, yeah, it was Griffin, Kathy Griffin, right? Yeah, I mean, I like Kathy Griffin on the show just because she talks so much shit about people, and actually, I thought she told a really um, interesting story about Pat Riley and how he used Susie Orman to 
recruit LeBron, Wade, and and Chris Bosh when he signed them. Um, I mean, I, I really, I mean, to be honest, I have no interest really in hearing from Joe Buck because he's doing 5,000 interviews this week. So, like, do I need him on Howard? No. I mean, there are other people who, if you said, you know, would you rather hear Kathy Griffin or whoever, I'd give you whoever. But, I mean, I don't have any burning desire to hear from Joe Buck, to be honest with you. I just said Joe because he was on the wrap-up show that day. And, right. you know, just to me, I always think, like, you might be 5,000 places, but then you're on Howard, and it's a completely different game. Well, now that you say that, I get my assumption would be that Howard didn't have him on, because if you're going to have Joe Buck on the Howard Stern show, it's going to be hard to do that and not talk about Artie, and Howard probably just didn't want to be bothered talking about Artie. I mean, did you hear <laughs> Joe Buck on the wrap show? Did they mention Artie? What they did is, uh, I, re- I rarely listen to it either. I listen because Joe was on. Uh, what they did was it, it came up and Joe like almost didn't want to mention it. And then Baba Bowie said, it's okay, you can say it. it was Artie. And then John goes, all right, let's take it to the next break. And then that, Oh, really? Yeah. I would, uh, maybe I'll go back and listen to that on the app. Yeah, I mean, I, if that's how that went down, then I think that's the answer to the question about why Howard didn't interview Joe Buck. Yeah. yeah, it's too bad. I, I don't know. I always, I'd love to to see what the demographics of the show is versus what I believe the demographics in my mind is. You know, I know that this is obviously a fight that Baba Bowie's had many times with him. You could tell when Matthew uh, Barry was on. Uh, he even said before Matthew came on about how he was trying to, in, to instill in Howard that so much of his audience would be fantasy players and they'd love to hear Howard interact with him. And it's worked every time he's been on. It's so hard for me to figure out what the what the audience is these days, just because with Sirius, you know, it's a subscription, people right. have to pay mm-hmm. a lot, you know, and a lot of people don't want to pay the price. And he's only, and I, you know, I know a lot of people who, who you know, cancel or are on the verge of canceling because he's on three days a week. I think what bothers people more is the three days a week more than the, you know, more toned down show. Every time, you know, I seem to speak to a Stern fan. Uh, they don't really bring up that the show is more, you know, toned down. They bring up that he's only on three days a week. So I'd, I, I'd be interested, too, to know what the audience is these days because, you know, it's not easy to pay, you know, $13, $14, $15 a month for basically 12 shows. Right. You basically, you know. Luckily, though, I will say Sirius has got a lot more programming that I'm interested in than it did a while ago. I mean, Opie, yeah. Opie and Jimmy split up, so that's two shows now. So if you enjoy... One or both of those guys are in two separate shows now. Also, the new music channel that isn't really a music channel. They just talk about music. It's okay sometimes. I have some good discussions. Mm-hmm. I like Eddie Trunk, so I'm interested in his show once in a while. So I have found other uh, programming. The thing I don't like about three days is how they use the other two days, just repeating what they played the right. last three days when it's already on demand. I used to right. love when they would play full episodes from the satellite era or take the request similar to Sternthology. All those were better options. That's the only I complaint agree. I have about uh, three days. Yeah, yeah And I wouldn't even mind if they took one day to, to replay you know, the shows from the week, but they don't need to do it both days. Yeah, that's a bit silly. Uh, the Sportscasters are here with Jimmy Trena talking about Howard a little bit. I want to switch up and talk about sports. You know, you and uh, John and Richard Deitch uh, did a podcast on Richard's platform a couple of weeks ago, talking about a bunch of different uh, issues in, in in media, and one thing you talked about a lot was uh, the uh, Bill Simmons show. And then, like two days after it aired, the show got canceled. And, I would uh, just like to say, I they Richard asked what we thought the biggest media stories of 2017 would be, 
And I said, I said, what happens with Bill Simmons' show? And then the next day it was canceled. <laughs> so I, I was feeling very, very genius that, that week. Now that it's actually been canceled, since if you were talking about that on Richard's show at all, it would hypothetically, now that it's actually been canceled, what do you think the next step is for him? And how do you, how do you see it kind of playing out post any given Wednesday? Well, I mean, it's an impossible question to answer just because Bill is not the typical writer, sports personality, whatever you want to label him. Obviously, he's got his site with The Ringer. And, you know, every website these days is all about video, 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 and, and even now live video. So does he do that on The Ringer? Does he do that and get paid from, a you know, Fox Sports or a Sports Illustrated? I don't know. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not sure those, you know, the traditional sites like that, Fox Sports, Sports Illustrated, um, Yahoo Sports, I, I'm not sure how many of those would pay Bill what he probably wanted to get, what he'd probably want to get paid based on his value. I, you know, I think he'll keep writing for the ringer. I think the question is, and they'll, you know, do the podcast for the ringer. The question is, what does he do in terms of video? And, um... I mean, who knows? I mean, the show didn't work out for HBO, but there's so many networks out there that, I mean, like, you know, NBC Sports has a cable channel that nobody watches. You could do a show there. Or, you know, CBS has a cable channel that nobody, sports cable channel that nobody watches. You know, maybe, you know, they want him to do a show there. I mean, just because it didn't work for HBO doesn't mean, you know, it's not going to work somewhere else. Um, Were you surprised at all that HBO didn't, give it, like, send it down to the minors maybe for a season, like, put it to HBO Go and let him shocked. try to work shocked. it out there? I was shocked they didn't just try to change some things. What I had said on Richard's podcast was that I thought the show was hurt a lot by being taped and not live. I mean, they could have at least given it a couple of weeks, you know, and go to a live format. Right. Um, and I thought Wednesday was a really bizarre time. Wednesday at 10 was such a bizarre time spot. Those last few weeks the show was on, he was going against um, the World Series and, and the you know, debates between Hillary and Trump and, you know, MLB playoff games. And, you know, he was competing with things that he just, you know, was never going to be able to get an audience against. And, you know, HBO has had success with Bill Maher and John Oliver doing shows on the weekend, uh, Bill Maher Friday at 11, uh, Friday at 10. John Oliver, I think it's somebody at 11, I, I thought they would, you know, should make Bill do a live show and pair him up either before or after those guys um, and do like a talk block and on the weekend, you know, even if right. John Oliver's on Sunday at 11, you put Bill on Sunday at 10, and I guess he'd be going against NFL, so that's a problem, but um, at least on the weekends, he probably would have more interesting things to talk about as well, so... Um, I was very surprised they didn't try to at least tweak it before canceling it. I was really surprised as well. Have you enjoyed The Ringer? I mean, I there are there. I, do I read every story from The Ringer? No, but they, I think they do a lot of really good work, and I think they have. Um, there's always interesting things to read there every day, for sure. I mean, I like that they're not just a sports website; and they do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I haven't enjoyed it as much as I thought. Certainly haven't enjoyed it as much as Grantland. I like a lot of the people there. A lot of them have been really good to the show, good to me. Nice people. Brian Curtis is a really, really good friend of the show, one of the best. I just, I don't know. I just, 
I just haven't been clicking on it as much as I thought I would. I haven't enjoyed stories as much as I thought I would. And, you know, I know you and Richard make fun of this, but I didn't need another heavily liberal-leaning political website in my life. I mean, you, um, I just didn't it. need that. <laughs> well, I know, but we're talking about whether I'm going to read it or not, and I'm telling you why I'm not. So, Yeah, I mean... I mean, you said you don't need it in your life, so you don't have to have it in your life. That's the beauty of it. Right, but I was hoping that that would be a website I liked. Like, you know, I was prefacing it by saying I like the people. I wanted to right. succeed, I, you know. But can't you just, like, read the other stuff that you might like? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I like to, I like to listen to the, to the Mass Man podcast, but it's on some feed with nine other fo- podcasts that I don't want. You know, so uh, okay. I got you. that's kind of frustrating. It's no, it's not that big of a deal to just delete them. And I do just delete right, them. Right, it's, right. it's fine. I'm not trying to pretend like this is some kind of, you know, enormous problem. That, though. You can't just subscribe to one podcast. That's some of them have their own feeds and some of them are on something called like score 33 or I'm not sure the exact feed, but well, that's a really bad way to do things on, the, on that part. That's for sure. Yeah, you know. I mean, so. you should be able to subscribe to the Ringer podcast and just get the Ringer podcast. I mean, right? Like you can subscribe to his individually. You can subscribe to the NFL, NBA, the House one individually, and then right. I think the keeping it. What's it called? The the politics one. I think is by itself, and then there's a group of them that come together, including the Mass Man, which is besides Bill is probably the only one I've really been interested in. Um, it's interesting. I did not know that. Very bizarre to me. Well, now that your biggest story is not necessarily off the board, but already in progress, uh, has anything else jumped up to your radar or something that you're focusing on for 2017 now? Besides, Bill? Um, let's see. It's an interesting question. Because when Richard asked it the first time, I think I said the NFL ratings the first time, but I don't know. I think that's all going to settle down now with the election over and... and we're getting a little bit more of a clear picture. And, like, last week was a great week. There were good matchups. Yeah. Um, good games. And the NFL has a problem. You know, they have a problem in that they do have – they have a lot of teams that are just completely unwatchable, you know, whether it's the 49ers, the Bears, the um, – the, the, I mean, the Texans are a brutal team to watch. Um, Jaguars. Jaguars. Uh, it's just a lot of teams that you just, it, it's hard to watch their games. Um, but now that we're so deep in the season, I think, you know, uh, other teams are making a move like Washington. and The NFC the Gi- teams are all good. Yeah, you yeah. see the Giants make a little bit of a move. What's going to help the league more than anything is the Cowboys are the number one story of the season. And... You know the Cowboys drive ratings more than anyone. So you have you have Dallas, you know, playing extremely well. Two rookies, great story there, and you have the Patriots as the Patriots. So with those two things going on, I think the ratings now will be okay. Um, and you know, better matchups. Even you know, we're taping this on Thursday. You have Carolina, New Orleans tonight. I mean, that's pretty much one of the better games all season that we've had on the Thursday night. Right. Yeah, I would like so, to see the Thursday night go away, probably. I think that's one thing that's definitely hurt them that's an easy fix. Because you have yeah, to put every team on a, it. A lot of people say that. It's interesting. I don't know what... I know for me, I find a, I find I struggle more getting into the Monday night game than the Thursday night game. Interesting. Um, 
But, yeah, clearly it seems like the Thursday night game is not a super hit with fans. Yeah. But it's going to make the NFL money, so I don't think they're going to get rid of it so easily. Right, and I think a lot of things are going to make them money. They just might need to accept what a new maximum of that money is. Like I think a lot of the ratings issue might have been that the ratings peaked to an unsustainable level, and now they're just kind of regressing to the mean a little bit. Maybe not to the level that it right. increased. Yeah, but I, I, agree. I agree with that. Yeah, the sportscaster here with Jimmy Traynor. Last time you were on, you were with Fox. Now you're doing stuff with the undefeated. Or no, that's not right. Excuse me. Um, come back. Awful announcing. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, come, come back and awful announcing. Yeah. So what? Yeah. how have you enjoyed working with uh, Matt Yoder comes on here to talk about Saints with me sometimes and Andrew Buckholz has been on. and I've enjoyed those guys. Yeah, I like those they're, sites. They're, they're a good group of guys. They've let me do my thing. I've only done a couple of pieces for them. I'm hoping to do more now. Um, but, yeah, they've, they've, been, they've been great. I, they could not possibly be any better to, to – uh, Work, work for and work with. What else do you want to do in 2017? Well, I would love to. Uh, I would love to uh, maybe, maybe I don't. I don't want to really say it publicly yet. But, okay, uh, okay, you still got something you're holding tight. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, I'd rather not say it yet. But there's something I'm working on, and hopefully, will happen soon. Um. Very soon, but uh, I'd rather not say. I'm, I'm one of these people that believes in jinxes and putting things out there that shouldn't be put out there at the wrong time. So, um, but we'll see how that shakes out. And what else? 2017. What is 2017? Well, I'm a Yankee fan, and they had a rough year, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they do in the off season. And I'm also, you know, the Cubs winning the World Series. You know. I, I, it, was, it was a great story that they won. There's no doubt about that. But I feel like now that's just such a huge void now in baseball that that storyline of the Cubs being the lovable losers is over. And, you know, I, I think it happened with the Red Sox. It was good to have those franchises never win. Not for their fans. I mean, obviously, I'm happy for their fans. But in terms of narratives and storylines for the season, I think it actually hurts the league a little bit because there's no nothing stock left anymore, you know, basically. So well, that's like, I mentioned this. No, yeah. go ahead. You know, I was going to say, it's like a problem that wrestling always has. It's like heading into WrestleMania three, watching Ricky Steamboat chase Randy Savage and try and win the intercontinental title mm-hmm. is infinitely more interesting than when he actually won the intercontinental title. Right, right. You know, and that happens right. all the time in wrestling. Yeah, so... I'm interested to see how what the uh, what happens with the Cubs and sort of their their standing as the lovable losers. I'm, I want to see what the Yankees do to rebuild them. And I think in 2017, I think again, I'd love to see LeBron get back to the NBA Finals and um, and obviously seeing how this Warriors team plays out with with Durant there now. So you know, I think sports I think sports is in good shape for next year. Definitely a lot of good storylines to follow. NBA, especially with the Warriors and, and LeBron uh, trying to repeat. One last thing, and we can kind of finish on this. You and Richard are yeah. always, always joking together about Twitter personas and uh, how you guys present yourself and interact on Twitter. And you right. both have taken a dark turn with your internet personas in the last four or five months. It's been much more combative, very political. 
definitely, you know, you guys are putting yourself out there for one side and not the other. Uh, you guys are drawing your lines in the sand, and you're out there battling. Do you think that ultimately it's a positive for the feed and for the persona? Do you plan on maybe dialing it back a little bit, that it's maybe something that feels appropriate for the election, but post-type maybe back it up, or am I just kind of making stuff up here? Um, well, no, I mean, you're not making up the fact that, obviously, there are way more political tweets than probably sports tweets over the last four or five months, um, and that's strictly because I thought the politics was way more interesting than the sports. Um, in terms of being combative, I don't, I don't know what Richard's deal is, but I don't think I'm combative with anyone. I pretty much don't really respond to people if who are disagreeing with me because I'm, I have no interest in fighting with people on Twitter. I may, you know, correct someone if they say something factually wrong, but if I put out a tweet that, you know, Trump is this, and then someone responds with, well, Hillary is this, I mean, I don't usually respond. So I don't think I'm nearly as combative as you portrayed it. Um, Will it change? Probably, my guess would be probably not, just because we have a raving lunatic as president. So I don't see myself ignoring that. <laughs> so you think he is a hundred percent as bad as people say, huh? I don't. I don't know. I mean, bad is. I don't well, know. I mean, do you really believe he is all the buzzwords associated to him? Like, do you really believe he's anti-Semitic? Do you really believe he's homophobic? No, here's what I believe. I believe he started out not wanting the job. I kind I of agree, he, yeah. I don't think he really wanted to be president, and then I think he saw the momentum and then decided, like, okay. And then I think he has no plan and doesn't know how to do anything. And I think that when he had the meeting with President Obama two days after he won the election, you could actually see the terror in his face when I guess he got briefed on what exactly is going on in the world. And I just think he's completely out of his league. That might be. You think that's why he's changed his stance on kind of purging the, what's the phrase he used? Or the swamps? I think, he, I think what's going on now, a kind curse on this podcast. Adam, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think, he, I think since the minute he's won, he's basically been shitting in his pants. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> could be. Because... Because, I, I mean, he didn't even know. And again, like, one of the reasons I don't, I try, I don't usually respond to anyone about this is because I don't want to do a back and forth with, unless people are okay with dealing with facts, which most people don't seem to be okay with. But <laughs> he, he came out of the meeting with President Obama last week not knowing that he had to hire a full White House staff. He just right. thought he would keep Obama's people. That's what I mean when I say he doesn't know anything and he has no plan. I probably would have thought that too, but I wasn't running. So, Well, that's right. the whole point. Right. I mean, you could, there's nine billion things you could say about Donald Trump and say, well, I probably would have too, and then say, well, I, was, but I wasn't running. Right. He, he decided to run. So if, you decided, so if you decide to run, then you have to take the criticisms that come with the job. Uh, no president, whether it was Obama, Bush, a Republican, Democrat, they all get bashed, they all get criticized. So. Yes. Um, I think the criticism and the bashing is going to be a little harsher when you don't know anything and have no plan and are doing everything by the seat of your pants. You know, I'm a, I'm a right-leaning uh, in my politics, I guess. I'm definitely socially liberal or socially moderate, but, you know, I like to protect the borders. I 
like small government because I don't trust it that much. You know, I'm more right than left, but I was not in any way a Trump supporter. Uh, my vote was somewhat similar to Ernie Johnson. Some Jeff Perlman and I talked about this on this very program as well. And, you know, my the one thing that I guess I go to bed every night thinking is when Obama – did you listen to President Obama on Mark uh, Maron's podcast? That was a couple of years ago. I I don't remember if I listened to it or not. I remember all the hullabaloo because you said the N-word on the podcast. Right, that's right. Well, I think, freaking out about that. I think maybe the most interesting thing he said on there was he talked about how hard it is for the president to make change. How for eight, right. he spent eight years fighting and clawing and working every day to move the needle just a little bit that he moved it. And that was eight years. Right. You know, so having Trump doesn't scare me that much because I take the word from the last president that it's a difficult yeah. job to get done. Now, I understand there's a little bit more control for Republicans, but I also yeah. don't think the Republicans... It's not a little more control. It's all the control. But they also don't want to squander that opportunity by just placating to whatever it is that Trump thinks is a good idea in the seat of his pants. I mean, this might literally be a once-in-a-generation opportunity for the party to have the control they have. Well, that, but that's why I also think I also think he's a disaster because nobody knows if he's going to do what he wants to do or if he's going to do what Mike Pence and Steve Bannon and his son-in-law want to do. Uh, you know, I I was maybe along the line of thinking that Trump's going to do what Trump wants to do, but when I see for a week how petrified he looks of having this job, now I'm thinking he's just going to let Bannon and Pence and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, basically do whatever he wants. So I don't. So it's. A, I think it's a complete mystery. I mean, I'm sure the Trump supporters will say we know exactly what he's going to do and blah blah blah. But I don't see how you can be Republican, Democrat, whatever, libertarian, and speak with any authority on what he's going to do because. No, I don't think it, he knows. It's a wild card, and you know, it, it was amazing to me that you know. He said, Hillary, you know, he's going to hire a prosecutor, put her in jail. She's the devil. She has hate in her heart. Yeah, that's campaigning. That's campaigning. I I, I can let that go. And then the day after winning, he said, well, I don't want to hurt her, and I haven't even thought about that. And, you know, Obama was the biggest piece of garbage ever, and not an American. And then he got out of that briefing, and then he said, oh, he's a good man. He's a good man. Then he said the wall was maybe going to be partially assessed. Then um, Newt Gingrich said... Well, yeah, we'll build the wall, but Mexico's not going to pay for it. That was just a campaign thing. Then Obamacare is the worst thing ever, but now he's going to keep parts of Obamacare. So I thought all along the guy didn't have a plan, and all he's done is prove me right. So I, yeah. to me, you know, I, the the Access Hollywood thing is a separate thing. The um, the the, per, the the stuff he he said is I put all that aside for a minute. My only thing with him is. I don't think he knows what he's doing or has any plan whatsoever. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. You know, I, I think you know some of the stuff you cited, like what he was saying about Obama and Hillary. It's like, well, what about what Obama and Hillary were saying about each other when they were campaigning? I've been used to politicians saying one thing about each other and then doing something different. Right, but there's. A I mean, that's regular. That's regular. But there's, di- but there's a difference between Obama saying, "Oh, Hillary Clinton would do anything to get elected," which is a strict political comment. Whereas Trump said, looked in her face and said, you're the devil, you have hate in your heart. I mean, there's a difference. Yeah, there's, there's a also difference. a difference in 
well, this is this is getting away from what I wanted to accomplish, actually. But no, I I do agree with you, and I do think that what you're saying kind of also makes me feel better. I think it's going to take him two and a half years even to figure out how to even accomplish anything, and I think by then he'll be out of time. So I, I think I think see, I disagree with some. I think he's going to accomplish things. I think he's going to do things. I just don't know who they're not, those are. Right, and they're not going to be to this the grandiose scale he dreamed up when he was saying whatever came out of his mouth the next time he talked. Um, I mean, who knows? I don't know. I mean, I think it, I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting that, you know, he said during the debate, and he said after the debate, he said on 60 Minutes that he was pro-life and he was going to hire um, pro-life judges and abortion would go back to the state. And then he also said in the 60 Minutes interview, he's for gay marriage, it's a dumb deal, it's not getting changed. And it's like, he's all over the map. You know. He is that. He is that. Jimmy, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate the time. It's at Jimmy Trainer on Twitter. Anything else you wanted to plug? Oh uh, no, that's it. Just uh I appreciate you having me on and hopefully uh everyone has a peaceful Thanksgiving while they discuss this topic with their family. <laughs> yeah, that Thanksgiving dinners <laughs> everywhere will be a joy this year, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. All right. All right, I want to thank Jimmy Trainer for being on the podcast today. Love having Jimmy on. Love talking Stern and uh, sports media. And I guess I didn't even mind a little bit of politics there with Jimmy. All right, book club update. In a second, we're going to have our interview with Jeff Perlman, who is here to promote his book, The Remarkable, Improbable, Iconic Life of Brett Favre, Gunslinger. This book is a two-time charter on the New York Times bestseller list. It debuted at number 18 on the list and then moved up to number 13 on the list in its second week. Still waiting to see how it did in its third week, but it is just a great hit for Jeff. We love Jeff Perlman. He's one of my favorite guests. He's one of the nicest men that comes on this show. He's got a great heart. I know some people are turned off by his politics, but I promise you, He comes from a good place. He wants the best for his country and for his children. And uh, he's a good man. And he wrote a great book. And we're going to talk with him about it. We'll do that in a minute. A couple other books I wanted to mention. One, last week on the podcast, S.L. Price was on to talk about his book, Playing Through the Whistle, Steal Football in an American Town. I still have copies of this book to give out. If you're interested, email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I can send a book. Uh, But please check out our SoundCloud page and last week's episode, which was 31, Season 6, Episode 31. And uh, our interview with S.L. Price about this book is there. So that leaves one last book uh, to plug and to mention, and that is Lucky Bastard. My Life, My Dad, and the Things I'm Not Allowed to Say on TV by Joe Buck. Uh, The book was released on the 15th, so on Tuesday. And since, uh, I've heard uh, Joe in a lot of places. He was on the Opie, or no, the Jimmy and Sam show uh, in the morning on Sirius XM and also on the Howard Stern wrap-up show. Uh, so I've seen him on there. And, you know, he's going to be out promoting the book in a bunch of places. And in a couple of weeks, we'll get him in here. Uh, before we go on Christmas break, we'll get him in here to uh, talk about the book and see if he's looking forward to the Super Bowl and how he enjoyed the World Series. Uh, but that book is called Lucky Bastard. 
My Life, My Dad, and the Things I'm Not Allowed to Say on TV. And it's available now uh, wherever books are sold and in ebook formats as well. All right, with that said, uh, let's stop this jibba-jabba and go to our interview uh, with Jeff Perlman. All right, our next guest is from Mayo Pack, New York, and is a graduate of the University of Delaware. Uh, he's obviously known for his career at Sports Illustrated, uh, where he worked before he left to be the author of books. His latest book on Brett Favre is a New York Times bestseller. He's making his eighth appearance on the podcast tonight. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Jeff Perlman. What's going on, Jeff? So there's a few things with that intro that confuse me. Okay. Um, number one, I uh, I feel like you know, native of Mayo Pack. I mean, yeah. you know, I haven't lived there in you know thirty something years, so I feel like that's a, that's an outdated intro right there. That's you know, wouldn't you from. say like Southern Cal, California resident, or yeah. just dashingly handsome guy? I mean, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> I like. Not Mayo only Pack. that, you're making me bitter because I just found out that my home where I grew up, you know, hasn't been ours for years, but was just foreclosed upon. Oh, and no. just sitting in a pile of weeds. So now you're just making me bitter. Oh, no. That's terrible. You don't like to hear that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so that's no good. But I do like that I've been on the show eight times because I've had seven books, so I'm, you know, I need <laughs> to catch up book-wise to appearance-wise. <laughs> I have to admit, I've been really nervous all day about this. You're full of crap. No, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> Why? I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> I like you very much. you like so, oh, politics. You guys say politics? Yeah, some people come on and I don't care about them. I just want to do mm-hmm. 20 minutes with them, get it as part of the show, move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're so sad. Yes, I'm sad. You know, you're so sad and you're so hurt and I can't really help you because That's okay. You know like I don't know. I just don't want to hang up when we're done with this and you be like mm-hmm. Oh, that guy's not as cool as I thought, or that guy sucks, or whatever. No, I never thought you were that cool. <laughs> well, <good>? well <laughs> the bar was low. I don't want it to go any lower then. You know what I mean? Uh, no, I, it's okay. It's okay. I'm actually doing better today a little bit. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully, again, hopefully it works out. But when a guy starts by hiring a noted anti-Semite to be uh, one of his key advisors, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, I don't know a lot hey, about Bannon, right? That's you're talking about Bannon or whatever. Yeah, read about. Yeah, read I don't know a lot him. about him. Then to tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a complicated time in the country, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. You know, strange. I mean, hopefully I, it works out. Hopefully, hopefully we look like the thing is the one thing I will say. I know this is, we're talking books, but I will say, we'll get to and this book. gives me hope and optimism mm-hmm. is that, um, we tend to get very. I mean, throughout history, I suppose, but we get very heated in the moment, right? And we get very, yes. it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, whatever it is, you know, TV show canceling, a band breaking up, Nile leaving One Direction, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is, in the moment, everything seems at its absolute darkest. And generally speaking, we survive. So, and time goes very fast. So, it seems he's not even present yet, and it's already kind of nightmarish for a lot of people, but I think you get back to your life, you kind of move on, things happen, hopefully he's 
you know, from my vantage, well, hopefully he's a successful president. Hopefully he's better than I think he's going to be. And, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. As long as we don't devolve into some, you know, third right type state government run state. We'll survive. Well, I always go back to the quote that Obama made on the uh, Marin podcast about how the life of a president, you, he spent eight years just trying to move the needle just a little, little, little bit and how hard yeah. that was and how frustrating it could be and how difficult it is to make government move. And, and I think how much damage can this guy who's going to spend the first probably year or two just trying to figure out what he's doing. I, mean, yeah. I don't know how quickly he's going to be able to hit the ground running. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just a lot. You know, as someone who didn't really have anyone to vote for, I, I'll be honest, I kind of did what Ernie, uh, Ernie Johnson, is that his name? Who's the guy from TNN? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, that was did, a great monologue right there. I did very similar to what he did. Not the same guy, but I wrote in a different Republican candidate. Yeah, I understand that. I understand. I have no problem with that. Um, I mean, and even if I did, it wouldn't matter. And if I, was in a right swing, do, if I was in a swing state, maybe I would have tried to make a real decision. You know, but in New York, it's nine oh one, and the state was called. Yeah, um, I know. It's kind of funny. Same here in California. Yeah. You know? But just I've been so upset for different reasons than you. But but all for the same. Like, you've been focusing on the guy, which is a fair thing to focus on. And I've been focusing mm-hmm. on other things that have upset me, like protesting a fair democratic election is awful to me. It's just such a such a bad look for us i feel like one thing i've always been proud of and i was super obama went up you know so much for me this week uh and i already kind of liked him anyway but i i think he's just been so great this week just doing the opposite of what these people who admittedly constantly will say they didn't even vote it's just uh, i don't even know you what to say that, this is what i, this why I was nervous <clears throat> um the guy who lost a lot of respect for me this week was colin kaepernick because I yeah. thought, um, I mean, that's unbelievable. Oh. You didn't vote. Like, you didn't vote. Whether you, like, whatever you thought of his, you know, I thought, like, oh, this is kind of good. Like, I was, we had, we actually were the family that had that discussion around the dining room table where we talked about what he was doing and whether it's good or bad and what do you think about it. And we, we had this great sort of talk. We've had a series of talks. And then you find out the guy didn't even vote. It's like he just totally blew it. That's it. I mean, I would have lied about it. If I hadn't voted, I think I would have lied in that case and just said it just because it killed him, you know, and rightly so. It's embarrassing. So that was not a, not a good moment for Colin Kaepernick. You know, and even if he didn't like the candidates or didn't care about them, I mean, he's got to have seen his influence across the country. Uh, yep. High school kids following his lead, you know, PB yep. teams. So why, you know, yep. the, does he want them to follow their lead and be politically indifferent as well? I just don't think he's a... Uh, I think he was a guy who like did something he believes in, which I, I have great admiration for. And then I, but I also think he is, I mean, I've covered athletes across the spectrum. I really have. I've covered athletes of ages, of races, of ethnicities, of uh, different places of origin. And very few of them, very few of them are truly socially curious and um, invested. So my guess is, I don't know him. My guess is, he kind of believed in that he did believe in this cause and tried doing the right thing. But I don't think he probably had the emotional maturity or capacity to take it to the righteous place, which is you have the importance of voting. I just, I don't understand it. And Mike Evans is another one on that list. Now he sat down yesterday. He said, because Trump was elected and that admitted that he didn't vote. He's in Florida. I don't know if that's his residence. I'm sure it is considering he plays there anyway. And there's no, I mean, taxes. it's crazy. 
But, That's crazy. That's uh, so embarrassing. Like, yeah. make your statement, but at least vote. Ugh. Yeah, I think that's another thing I'm upset about. I mean, it was such an intense election cycle, and 46% of the country sat it out. Yep. You know, that's frustrating. I mean, we went through all of this as a country for 46% to sit out. Yeah, we got yeah. issues. And then We're all, dumb people. And then all the misinformation. I saw an interesting stat. It might have been on John Oliver's show, which was also very frustrating to me. Even though I like John Oliver, I think he's very funny. But there's a stat, I think it was on there, about how... 20% of stories on Facebooks about Democratic issues and 40% about Republican issues are incorrect. Yeah. It's like, whoa, we, we maybe got to stop using that as a source of news. We yeah. need to maybe... Well, I agree, of course. You know. I mean, yeah, Ugh. I know. It's just the worst. So this doesn't make me feel better, though. So much to be frustrated <laughs> about. No, I'm not making you feel better at all, am I? <laughs> but that's okay. I guess I, I was just trying to tell you that I'm frustrated, too, even though it's maybe for yeah. a different reason than you. Yep. And don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm a Trump supporter or anything. I didn't get a red hat and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, run to the polls to uh, to vote for the guy. I didn't, but I don't know. I just feel like at this point, a week later or whatever, we got to stop blocking the roads and making our country look silly and Try to figure something else out that could matter, because I just don't see how that matters. I don't. I don't know, I don't know I don't the answer. An answer. I don't know what does I matter. Don't I don't know how you change anything or affect anything. I don't have a problem. To be honest, I don't have a problem with the protesters because yeah, I feel like I don't like it. It's, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want violent protesting. But I think, I think like I have no problem with people. Like it's not just. It's not a protest against the election. It's not saying. It's not saying you know this election was it held incorrectly or that it was rigged. It's saying, at least from my vantage point, it's saying we just elected a guy who ran an anti-Semitic, uh, xenophobic, you know, racist sort of campaign filled with lies and misinformation, and we're pissed off about it. And you know what we're going to do because we're pissed off about it? We're going to march in the street. We're not going to hurt anyone. We're not going to say we demand a recount. But we're angry. So I think that's what people are saying. And I'm just saying, like, I don't think that makes us look foolish. I think it actually makes us look democratic. It makes us look foolish when we hire an anti-Semite to be our uh, chief advisor. Just my opinion. Yeah, that's a fair opinion. I, I just, I don't think anyone would look into it that deep, really. I think the perception is just going to be they had an election, they don't like the results, and now they're marching in the streets. I mean, it's something but at least it ex- says. But at least it says to some people, like, see, I don't want, I hate the idea of the world um, thinking that America supports the ideas that he is uh, expressing. So, because I think most of us don't. I think actually Republican and Democrat, maybe maybe we're for lower taxes, maybe we're for more taxes, maybe we're for this. Obamacare, maybe we think it should be dismantled. But most of us in this world, in this country, and I think a solid 97% of us do not believe um, that Barack Obama was a Kenyan nationalist who was born to ruin America, you know, brought here to ruin America, or believe that there are a bunch of Jews sitting atop a hill plotting to ruin this country. And I think that's uh, what the protesters are, I don't know, maybe trying to say that we do not subscribe to this thinking and don't think we do. I don't think Donald Trump believes most of that either, though. But he expresses it. And if he doesn't believe it, it's a million times more shameful. Because it means he just used it to win an election. Yeah, maybe. But politics are dirty like that. I mean, I've always been told about how, you know, hey, stuff is fair game in politics. And people always say that until it's against them. You know, people always. I think that, uh, 
people I don't always know. this went to a different level. Yeah, I've never well, seen anything like that. Of course you're gonna say Ever. that though. You know what I mean? Like it's always a different level when you stop agreeing, I guess. I, I don't know. No, I don't think that's it. Wait, wait, I just want to give an example real quick. Sure. Back in um back when George Bush senior ran against Michael Dukakis. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with this or yeah, I remember there was, a a called, there was mm-hmm. Willie Horton, another Willie Horton thing. Yes. Okay, so uh, basically, I mean, a synopsis is uh, Mike Dukakis was a governor of Massachusetts. He had a prison furlough pro- program. Yep. Uh, a prisoner named Willie Horton went out on furlough, murdered someone, blah, blah, blah. So George W. Bush, uh, excuse me, George Bush Sr., uh, his campaign ran these series of ads, and they kind of made Willie Horton uh, Dukakis' running mate. And his campaign manager is a guy named Lee Atwater, who is a notoriously vicious campaign manager. And I always thought that was the worst thing I'd ever seen in sort of elective politics. And over the years, I developed an immense amount of respect for George Bush uh, Sr. I honestly think his intentions were not that. So this, to me, like, I, I look back at that and I think, you know what? That was like, Willie Horton was actually fair game because it actually was true. Now, you can make the debate, was it racist or was it not racist? Sure. But he literally was out on furlough of a program Right, Right, and he killed someone. So you can make that argument. Barack Obama was born in the United States. Donald Trump came along and said, I have people on the ground finding really interesting things. He never had people on the ground, and he never found anything interesting. It was actually created. It was a made-up thing. So I've never seen it. I've seen where people stretch a truth or exaggerate what someone says or take a quote out of context. I've never seen someone just create over and over again things that aren't true, and that's what I find troublesome, and that in this age of misinformation, like you decided the John Oliver thing, people see a Facebook posting or a box that looks official with a big quote in it from Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And they just presume that it's true without looking into the details. And that's why I find on both sides as a political yeah. observer, I find that incredibly frustrating. I never know what's true. I don't, I never know what's true. I Google everything. Like, Snopes. Snopes is a pretty good source. That's a pretty left. That's a pretty left wing source though. Again, like I, I tried, I, that. I tried to talk to you about the one thing, and you didn't want to do it on text, which is fine. But you had posted something about that your fact checking was through Snopes, so I looked into it because I didn't know. Like I said, I know I oh, I never know it's true. So like you said, you always Google. I'm always googling and trying to read too because I never know it's true, and I don't want to sound stupid. Because uh, that does matter to me. I think to some people it doesn't matter enough if they sound stupid. Um, but uh, it was. I'm trying to remember which one it was. It was about. Hillary Clinton representing the guy that got off for raping the girl. Right. And it listed what was said, and then it said those things were essentially true, and then it said it was mostly false. I had no I idea what was false about it. I have to go look at it. Yeah, I'd probably have to look at it again, too, but, but I, I did bring it up to you at the time. But, like, but where has anyone ever said before this election that Snopes means liberal? I've never heard that in my life because I always knew it as a nonpartisan fact-checking source. And if you look at like different quotes attributed to Donald Trump that weren't true, it it charted those pretty regularly because there were a lot of those as well. You know, there was a quote where Donald Trump said, "All Republicans are crazy" or something. And you go to Snopes, you know, and and it was you know regarded as for, false. I don't know. Ugh, I don't know. I'm just I'm sick of this election. I'm yeah. sick of politics. I went to I went to just to look. I I don't know. I didn't know of it until very recently, and. I just had read that it was left leaning. I guess again, I could be reading something wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, you actually read, you should have gone to Snopes to see if right, it's to see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more thing, and then I want to move on to the book. 
we made yeah. each other laugh at least, I think, so we're making positive ground. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the Electoral yeah. College real quick. Let's I'm not talk. mad about any of this. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Well, I think we're really – I'm surprised. We're just trying to help each other figure it out. I think we're both a little mm-hmm. bit confused still, I think, really. It's just a confusing time. Yeah, yeah totally. It, it really is. So let's talk about the Electoral College for a second because yeah. I've only heard people say it's bad twice. <laughs> One time was when George Bush didn't win the popular vote and the other day. There's only two times I've ever heard anything bad about it. Never heard anything yeah. bad about it. The times that Clinton won or the times that um, right. Obama won, never heard anything bad about it. So I think we, if we do want to look at this, we need to find a way to do it outside of the election cycles. We want to have an honest discussion about it. But um, here's the thing about the popular vote. They don't really count the popular vote, right? They only count the votes that matter. So – in every state that has absentee ballots, which a large majority are usually military, which I read the statistical breakdown and I did fact check it, and I think it is safe to say it's about 60-30 Republican. Mm-hmm. I know this is a different election, but mm-hmm. let's just say it would be 60-30 like normal, roughly. Uh, then what would the count be? We have no idea because we don't count the, the actual popular vote. So why yeah, is we need to. why is that even a thing that she wanted? Nobody wanted. Oh, the only the only thing anyone wanted is what was counted, and we don't count all the votes because we don't waste time counting votes we don't need. How many states yeah, were so they actually they end up trying to project where they would go? But I actually um, and I've seen both sides project that they would win. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I just want to say I um my my son and I just had this conversation. So we live in a very liberal state, California, yes. but so we do live I. in a relatively. We live in a relatively conservative mm, so do part I. of California. Yeah, so do I. Although when Hillary, actually when Hillary, this yeah, we went interesting. We went Trump, but um, my area. and my son said to me, "If you were a Republican, you would hate living here because your vote, you know, your vote isn't going to matter." And I, I haven't actually given that much thought in my life to the electoral college, and I don't like. I'm not one of these guys. Like there are people who there's like a petition going online that's caught some steam where it's like. Um, you know, you can get the, the the electoral college voters to still vote for Hillary because you know they're they're basically independent voters. They're right. advised. There's to been vote for what by the numbers two or three have right. have gone against it in history. Yeah, two or exactly. three votes total. And um, yeah. and I I've had people say to me, "Can you tweet this out?" I never say no. I'm not going to do that. Like this is a system. This is what we all voted under. Like he won the electoral college, therefore he is an ex president. I hate it. I'm not happy about it. But he's an ex president. So. I do not think, I think that's crap. I don't think it's right. That being said, I think every vote should count. And I think it should be a, a straight, I think the same argument, you know, it's like the, uh, it's like the college football playoff system. There's really no good argument against it. And there's not really a good argument in having every vote count. You know, like if you just think of it from a straight up logical standpoint, we have X million people in this country. They all get one vote. Let's take all the votes and see who has more votes. And some years, I mean, Ronald Reagan would have destroyed Walter Mondale in the popular, in the uh, general election. Um, George Bush would have destroyed Michael Dukakis if you were counting. So I'm not saying it because I think the Democrats will benefit. I just think from fair, pure fairness, I have nothing to do with this election even, from pure fairness, I just think it should be every vote counts. Yeah, I, there's an argument made for that, but then I watched a really smart video about the Electoral College, which was produced beyond, outside of this election cycle. Um, and it just makes so much sense. I mean, how much of the population lives in like eight cities? I know, but I mean, we're just going to give over the the presidential election to New York and Los Angeles and Houston. No, because if you vote, if you live in, if you take 
I don't know, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, blah, blah, blah. All those votes like add up too. But I also think like, yeah, I actually do think, yeah. And not because it's liberal. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying it because um, the fact of the matter is we have this many people in the country and the politicians, the president is supposed to represent the, you know, I guess the greatest number of people in the country is supposed to have the people's sort of interest at heart. And if more people tend to live in New York or Los Angeles, that's, I mean, that's just a, it's just a byproduct of where we choose to live. But that doesn't mean, I mean, I, I just think, I don't even make a good argument. I just think we have X number of people. If more people pick one candidate over the other, that should be it, period. That's my opinion. And that's fair. It has going, nothing to do with politics. I swear right. to God, Democrat, and, Republican, I don't care. I just think it's, it's a fair way to do it. And that's maybe fair going forward, but I don't think it's fair in this election to say either candidate won that part of it. Because we sure. have, we have no idea. That. You know what? We just don't know. And you sure. could make a strong case that Trump would have won if we counted all the votes, and you could probably make an equal case that Hillary would have won, but it's purely speculation. That's the last thing we need right now, you know? Like, okay. I don't we, disagree. We just... We all agree. Right. All right. Let's talk about the book, I guess. Move on mm-hmm. from that, right? I mean, almost like a symbolic hope that we can all move on somehow in our lives. I don't know. Yeah. We can't live like this forever for four more years. Or no, you, I don't think we will. We won't. All right, the remarkable, improbable, iconic life of Brett Favre. I read the book. Can I tell you my first, the first thing that comes to mind about it? Mm-hmm. I don't like Brett Fuck Favre me. that much. Oh, funny. I do. I just did not find him very likable. That's funny. I've gotten that. I, and I always thought he was kind of a symbol of cool. I remember, you know how they mm-hmm. always, around NCAA tournament time, they always have these strange brackets, like on the radio station to try to get you to vote. I remember one yeah. time they had a cool top 64 bracket and he was like a one seed and he won it. Oh. And I remember thinking like, yeah, of course he won it. He That's should funny. win that. And I read this book That's and I'm funny. like, oh, he's such a douche kind of. I don't like him at all. He's kind of a douche. I mean, he, he has douche qualities, douche tendencies, but good tendencies too. He's kind of a mix. I don't know. I kind of like him. Yeah. I he can know. like and hate someone. There's no black and white in this world or very little. It's funny. I liked, I liked Peyton better. I liked, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I. I liked other like he was a. I would have. I would if you had just given me the list of people you've wrote books about. I would have automatically voted Favre as number one in the likability rankings, taking the team books. But not out. anymore. Not anymore. Um, you know when he lost me a little bit. I would say is the the dick pictures with the Jets. Yeah, because that really um, that really crossed the line where you're talking about sexual harassment. You're talking about infidelity. You're talking about a level of immaturity. I mean, also, like, I've, I've, I always think this. I really do always think this. Like, you know what? I was going to send her flowers, but eh, I don't know. It's so cliche. Maybe I'll send her jewelry. Nah, you know what I'm going to do? Send her a picture of my, my flaccid penis. That'll <laughs> really, that's going to impress her. That's what I'm going to do. That'll I, win her over. I've never had that impulse. <laughs> but No, me neither. Know- Not one time. He lost me early in the book. The way he treated his siblings lost me. I, mean, I love my brothers. I could never. Now they treated each other that way. It's kind of the culture. I can't put it all on him. Yeah. That lost yeah. me early. And then also, like, the way he treated his teammates, like, getting dressed in a different locker room. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, he kind of aged out. You know, his, uh, he aged out of it all. I think that's a big thing. Like, he just, like, he felt more like a coach than a player. He could relate more to the coaches than the players. Um, he maintained, he's, he's a rare guy. You know, usually when people retire, they retire because their skills fade them. You know, Arian Foster just retired. He retired because his skills faded him. Far skills didn't fade. So 
he was able to hold on and hold on and hold on and hold on. And, um, and, and that, that meant he was 40 playing with a bunch of 24 year olds. And he just didn't, he just didn't feel that kinship anymore. You know, I've seen that happen with other athletes in sports where you just kind of, you outgrow your contemporaries. That's sort of what happened with him. That's a fair defense, but like people get mad at me because I compare everyone to Drew Brees all the time, but look at, that's my guy. And I just could not imagine him getting dressed with Sean Payton before the game. Just, no, just no way. And like yeah. he pays every, every spring for the wide receivers to come to San Diego and yep. to throw together. And, uh, I guess I just like it that way. I don't, I just, it just was such a turnoff. I don't know. It just, it had this aura of I'm just better than everyone else in that room. It's like the WWF champion, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan <laughs> became champion and he wouldn't get dressed with the boys anymore. You know, when, yeah. and Bret Hart became I mean, champion disagree. and he said, screw that. I'm getting dressed with the boys. I don't disagree, but I do think the funny thing is his teammates still really liked him. I mean, it was just, they were more like confused why he would do that, but it wasn't like it caused any amazing hostility. That was always overstated. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It was, it wasn't his best luck. You know, it wasn't who he was ten years earlier for sure. Yeah, and I think it was just all kinds of examples like that just kind of wore me out on the guy. I want to ask you this: I was thinking mm-hmm. about you've been talking about all the interviews you do, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about your books that are sort of they're sort of like a reality show in the sense like. Eight people go to live in a house and find out what happens when they start being real, right? And then they come home. True story. Right? And then they come home and they want to see what kind of edit they're going to get. And I think that maybe to some degree your books are like this. You have so much information about all the different characters in the book that you have to almost give them an edit. You need to decide the information, weed through what kind of picture you're going to paint of these different characters in the book. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, it's a, it's a beast. It's the downfall of interviewing so many people is you over, you tend to, I tend to over report a little bit with interviews and then you, you end up combing and digging and trying to figure out what goes where and how you're going to, and also you do have conflicting takes on people, you know, like I had, um, I had guys who played with Brett Favre who just loved him. Then I had guys who played with Brett Favre who just found him not so lovable. You know, like you have guys who thought he was the best quarterback they ever saw yet. Other guys find him to be erratic and, you know, uh, you know, unfocused at times. You had coaches who thought he was the best. You had coaches who thought he was a nightmare. Um, and I guess part of the whole puzzle of it all is figuring out who gets the weight, where, who, whose voices should carry the most weight, whose narratives are the most interesting, um, side characters who pop out, you know, of the book. I don't know. It's a big mishmash. I, I still don't figure out. I always write a book and I look at it. It's going to sound dumb, but I write the book. I finish it. I get it. It's sitting there in the mail. It's in a bookstore. And I always think, like, how the hell did I survive that? You know, like, how did I pull that thing off again? I'm not kidding. Like, I'm like, I'm not saying it's rocket science or, you know, brain surgery, but you're like, how did I weed through all those interviews, all those clips, everything I had, and survive to do this? I have no idea sometimes because it melts my brain. How do you decide the different excerpts that run in different places? Like, I think Dad Spin ran an excerpt on The Bounty. Mm-hmm. And uh, what 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 was the excerpt in Sports Illustrated? I almost can't remember now at this point. Yeah, SI was the Atlanta Falcons. The here. Falcons, yeah. Do you uh, decide that? Yeah. Do you work with them, or do they just pick, or how does that work? All right, so this was a weird one actually. So um, usually it's a conversation, and uh, or they'll you'll send them a book like uh, Bleacher Report. So I write for Bleacher Report, and uh, they ask I asked if they would do an excerpt first excerpt. So basically, it came down to either ESPN.com or Bleacher Report. This is a full story. 
came down either Bleacher Report or ESPN.com. And I'm very big into excerpts. I think they're really important. Um, and I was going to go ESPN.com. And then they kind of just stopped staying in contact with me. Like I, I would email them and ask, are we still good? And nothing. Hmm. And Bleacher Report, I really wanted. Like the truth of the matter is I wanted Bleacher Report. I was getting a little pressure for ESPN, but I wanted Bleacher Report because number one, I write for them. Number two, they're blowing up. Number three, they really know how to promote things. And they're, they've mastered digital journalism in a lot of ways. Um, and promoting digital journalism. They're really good at it. So um, they were always like, yeah, let's do it. And I, uh, Sports Illustrated, it's like, it, it's, it's uh, kind of a bummer. Print just doesn't carry the weight that it used to. It just doesn't. And so I, I didn't want to give SI the first excerpt, even though my heart belongs to SI journalistically. Um, I just felt like, and, and they, it took them so long to get on the website wagon and to like, to really sort of make their website. I mean, their website doesn't get the reads that others it should, but it doesn't. So I told SI, I would love to do an excerpt, but I, I couldn't give them, unless they gave me the cover, I couldn't do the, uh, I couldn't give them first excerpt. So they took a second excerpt. Then I reached out to Deadspin because I know Barry, the editor there. And I just said, would you consider running an excerpt if I gave you something good? And he said, well, what do you have? And I told him about the biking thing. And he said, okay, and that was it in that order. And the one thing you always just ask is if they have a link to the Amazon or order page. It's the most important thing. And that's why print is less desirable because if you read an excerpt in a magazine, you then have to put down the magazine, go to your page, you know, go to the web, hopefully remember it, go to Amazon, blah, 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 blah. It's a whole seven steps. If you get, if you, if you're online, you're reading it, you just click on the Amazon link and you're there. Yeah. And the SI stuff, you can't share it, you know, like can't share it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't put it on Facebook. Can't put it on Twitter. Um, also like, the readership of SI, the magazine, you know, print, it's just older. So I don't even know if they're going to their computers, you know, right. to, it's just a different, it sucks, but it's the reality of digital journalism, of journalism in 2016. All right. Let me pick a bone with you. Go ahead. Since it came up in one of the excerpts. And when I read the excerpt, I said, oh, this has got to be lacking context. There's no way he would write this. Oh boy. Go ahead. All right. Hold on. I have it here. All right. This is page 361 in the book. Favorite page in the book. The Vikings were right. They were the better team. Faster, stronger, significantly more athletic. The Vikings won the possession. Jeff, first of all, no, they were not. Hold on a second. You got to put your argument in the book. Well, you barely put one. You just kind of presented that without – you just kind of just said that. Yeah, I'm the narrator. Uh, The Saints were 13-3 and that year. Okay? Listen to the Mm -hmm. quarterbacks they beat that year. Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan twice, Cam Newton. Uh, actually, not Cam Newton. Yeah, none of those guys. First of uh, those Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, yeah. Kurt Warner, all those in the playoffs, by the way. Tom Brady. Um, and by the way, that NFC Championship game, they played that exactly the way they played every game all season. Every game all season, they gave up yards. They were the 25th rated defense in yards. But they caused turnovers, and they caused six of them in that game, including a back-breaking turnover at the very end of the game where the Vikings might have won the game. They played the game exactly the way they always played it. So to say that the Vikings possessed the ball longer and gained more yards, the Saints were used to that. Not to mention the offense gets on the field and five plays later they're in the end zone. It's hard to possess the ball. I, I just watched every single game the Saints played that year. And to boil that, oh, the Vikings are better in one sentence, it's just ridiculous to me. Infuriating, actually. I just want to say, mm-hmm. these are the kind of conversations that I'd rather talk about Trump. <laughs> <laughs> really? When someone's like, no, but when someone's like, 
how can you say the Jets quarterback situation in 1987 was wrong? So you, don't, wrong. you don't really like I, talking about I, sports? No, I don't. Oh. I like talking about writing and I like talking about lives. But it, when it comes to like debating which team was better, which defense was better, like it's my least favorite topic in the world. It's like of all the reasons I write books, that would rank number 973. So then why would you write so, that? Well, because I did my research. I talked to different people. And it was like a, it seemed like an intelligent take, man. Oh. You just disagree. Yeah, I guess I do. What can I tell you? That's fair. Yeah. I'm not infallible. Yeah. Well, I thought we'd have more fun talking Sorry about that, but you. you don't want no, to talk man, about it. I don't it, care. I, I could care less. Don't you get I mean, bored I, I, you know, of talking about yeah, the ahead. same five stories? Like, I've watched, I like I've about watched, writing. I've watched you everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you've had some really good ones. It's funny. There's ones where it's like a minute, and I'm like, oh, they didn't read it, you know. And I can tell yeah. you can tell. I can tell thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, this is this is a waste of his time or whatever. And um, yeah. it seems like though that you told the same four stories every time. Five meeting Aaron Rodgers and calling him a grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was another popular yeah. one? Oh, I could tell you them all. Yeah, Falcon go ahead. Year. Yeah, the Falcons um, thing you told a right. lot. Here are my go tos. Okay, Falconier, um, Favre. Uh, Rogers is always asked yes, about. Yep. Um, uh, Favre's car accident uh, leading into a senior of college and his dad not letting him throw the ball in high school. And sometimes I get a little bounty gate and sometimes I always get asked, what's, what's he up to now? How's his life now? Oh, and I always get asked also, he didn't talk to you. So how did that work out? Right. <laughs> Those yeah. are pretty much, I just hit him on. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't love, uh, I like talking about writing. I like, but I don't like talking about the nitty gritty of sports, like whose defense was better Blah, blah, blah. It's not why I write the books. I understand why people find it interesting. It's just, it hasn't been my thing in many years. Yeah. Not because I'm better than it. It just hasn't been something that's held my attention that much. That's fair enough. You know, I, as someone who's gotten a lot of their intestines taken out, I do have to give back. I couldn't imagine playing football the same year. Oh, I, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't believe more people don't know that, know about that story. To me, that's his, like, money story in a lot of ways. Yeah, that was fascinating. Like, reading about what he went through. I mean, basically, he had a bowel obs- obstruction. And they had to clear it out and resection it. Yeah. And I've had that done twice. And the nope. second time I had it done, that's three years ago now, and I still haven't recovered. I mean, yeah. I, I so think... So you, you wouldn't be beating Alabama? No way. No way. Mm-hmm. Wait, I want to tell you something. Do you want to, do, do you want to make history on this show right now? Sure. My son is standing next to me, okay? Okay. I could put him on, and he can tell you a story that I've told from my books. Would you like him Let's to do, do that? Let's do it. Sounds I'm not fun. Yes, that's fine. Let's do it. All right, this is Emmett Perlman. All right, Emmett. I love him. Hey, Steve. Hey, Emmett. How's it going, buddy? I'm good. You got a story for me? Sure. All right, let's hear it. Hey, Brett Favre. Okay, so Brett Favre, got, he got in this, like, huge car accident mm-hmm. after he went to, like, this bar, and then he, um, and he, um, he had to get like twenty five inches of his li- of his um intestine removed. Yep. That caused him to have the worst farts of all time. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I've had part of my intestine moved twice, and it's happened to me as well. <laughs> my funny. F- my farts are no good, and I have I have a little daughter, and her farts are brutal <laughs> too. And everyone says that she's just like her dad because she's got stinky farts. <laughs> That's funny. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Take care of your dad, all right? He's a good guy. Love him for me. Give him hugs. Okay. He needs it. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Here it is.
how about that? <laughs> I was telling, we just made history on this show. I, was, I made history on this show. And I got to tell him it, it happened to me, too. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. it happens. <laughs> it's not good. I'll write for, your book next. It's not good I only write farting. books about guys who have intestinal ulcers. Yeah, yeah. You're going to switch your focus from sports to intestinal, <laughs> intestinal-driven intestinal <laughs> subjects. Uh, what else do I want to talk The book is called The Remarkable and Probable Iconic Life of Brett Favre. It's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about the the Amazon disaster. Hey, that wasn't good. What happened? Well, so uh, the book came out, and, you know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things people don't know. In fact, my son and I were just talking about this, things you think you know that you don't know. And um, Amazon basically, um, they decide how many books they're going to order based upon what they think it's going to sell. So Amazon ordered, I think, 2,000 of my books. Well, it sounds like a lot, maybe, but it isn't a lot, especially when you have uh, sort of a mainstream topic, you know, with a high regional interest and blah, 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 but a national appeal. So uh, they order 2,000, and they sell out super quick, which yeah. is good, obviously. Day you know, it's good sales. Mm-hmm. But um, then all of a sudden, Amazon, I, I don't think it's like some guy, it's not like Gene in accounting who sits there and, like, updates the, the, the you know, product uh, details. But all of a sudden, on the product detail, it says... Um, not available for one to two months, like after they sell out. So all of a sudden, you're sending people to this. You're sending people to this website directly off of links from your excerpts that you worked your butt off to get, and off of a book that you worked your your butt off to write. And they go to the excerpt, and they go to Amazon, and uh, it doesn't. Um, that's my car. I apologize. And it doesn't. It doesn't exist. So now all of a sudden, people are like, one to two months. Why do I want to order that book? Why do I want to order here? And you lose the exact same thing you were searching for by having digital excerpts, which is um, direct access to Amazon. So it was very frustrating. And I was like, you know, on the phone with my editors at Houghton Mifflin, who are great, and they were frustrated, and you're like yelling. And all of a sudden, it's funny, my barnesandnoble.com ranking went for like 14. To one. It's probably a record for me. Yeah. But not that many people order from barnesandnoble.com. But they had to, right? Because Amazon was out. Yeah, because Amazon was out. Right. So all of a sudden, I was fourteen. Then Amazon went back up, and I was all the way, I was all the way back down on Barnes and Noble. Like two days later, I was like a thousand. So who knows? How did how has uh, ebooks been? I'm just looking. Uh, I ebook ebooks has done well actually. I was um, I made the list. Uh, I don't remember what my number was, but it was combined ebooks hardcover. I was really high actually. Yeah, you're so not good. number seven right now on the iTunes ebooks list. Is that true? Yeah. Well, for sports. Brand number seven? Yeah, for sports, number seven, yep. Oh, for sports? Yeah. Oh, man. I have no idea. The overall, probably not that high. I yeah, don't know. That's okay. That's okay. But it's, a, it's a weird list, though. Get, uh, you get spoiled. Right? You get spoiled. Like, that's one thing that happens. You have success with a book, and then uh, you always expect more or want more, and if you don't get it, you're disappointed. It's kind of a shame how that works in life. Is this your best-selling book? Oh, I don't know yet. I mean, the Mets book and the Cowboy books both were, uh, they're still, I'm still getting royalties on those. Right. So those are, if I had to rank selling, I think how it'll end up going is I think it'll be uh, Mets book, Cowboy book, Favre, Lakers, Peyton. I think it'll be how it ends up as far as sales ranks. We're all said and done. You getting excited about the USFL book? Yeah, if I can start it. It's just uh, promoting a book is such a beast. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just write while I promote. And then you're doing 30 interviews in a day. It's like, oh, I don't think I will. You know, so like now I'm way behind. I was working on it today. It's, it's a hard book to write. 
because it's three seasons condensed into an entire book and there's a million different locations and characters and it's confusing. So uh, I'm into it, but I need a few days of just like flopping down in front of a, in front of my laptop, which I'm going to get starting next. What have you enjoyed? Uh, you know, you talk about being a book whore and promoting. What have you enjoyed? I know you like Cowherd, even though you went there with radio clothes, not television clothes. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I love that. That yeah. was great. I loved, um, I hate book signings. I hate book signings. And um, I did four in Wisconsin. And it was the four best experiences of my life. It was absolutely fantastic. It was just great. And uh, great turnouts. People were really enthused. Um, you know, probably the smallest turnout. I did one game seven the same night. I, I rivaled game seven of the World Series. And I was driving there thinking, there's going to be no one here. Is that a community college outside of like Milwaukee? No, Appleton. Nobody's going to be here. It's like 60 people in the room. Wow. It's like the power of five. It has nothing to do with me. It's just the power of five. So, yeah, I think this book lended itself well to signings, especially in Wisconsin, because he's just got yes. such a following there. 100%. It's kind of interesting. That, this is one thing I have figured out. Like, I hate doing signings. I hate doing signings. And if you do signings in a city like New York or Dallas or L.A., I really think you need a celebrity with you. You know, if I could have had Jeannie Buss appear or Magic Johnson appear when I did the Showtime, that would have had good turnouts at the signings. But there's so many things to do in those places. Green Bay, God bless it, it's a great place. There's not that much to do there. Right. So, author, Favre, new book, Packers, well, it's either that or we're going to go to, uh, you know, see a movie. So, that worked out really well for me. Yeah, and I think the, the struggles of the Packers have worked out for you a little bit too. People are upset with Rodgers. God, let's go get this Favre yeah. book. You know, let's show, show Rodgers. He's got to step it up. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Jeff Perlman is at Jeff Perlman on Twitter, www.jeffperlman.com for the Quaz and his blog. Uh, the book, again, is called The Remarkable, Improbable, Iconic Life of Brett Favre, Gunslinger. It was number 13 on the New York Times bestselling list uh, in the last count. 18 the first time. You think that was probably because of the Amazon thing, that it was lower the first week than the second week? Yeah, definitely. definitely yeah. Cause they, uh, that's the other thing. They don't count, they don't count books ordered. They count books shipped. So a lot of the orders waited to the second week to be shipped. It's kind of interesting. One of my funnier things about the New York Times bestseller list I always laugh about is how when Howard Stern was number one, some places yeah. around the country would not put the list up or they'd put it up without him. Oh, my God. It's funny. That's weird. It's funny. That was actually a really funny book, too. Private Parts. Yeah, I like both of them. Miss America wasn't. I didn't as, read the other one. Yeah, it's not as good as Private Parts, but it's worth worth the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I know you have other things to do. I feel like this wasn't that good. I don't know. I should have done better, I think. Oh, come on. You brought your game. We just talked a lot of politics. That's unusual, but it was appropriate for this time of year. I just couldn't bring you on and not bring it up. I'd be such a fool the way totally you get it. tweet I probably lose and... more, more Twitter followers and Facebook friends because of politics than anything else in the world. So, chase your ass Yeah, it's a tough thing to handle. I, I just unfollow people or mute them. I don't defriend them. I do, too. Oh, I actually defriend them. Yeah, I don't and then do I that. I feel bad about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I, I, I just. I don't you're have the balls. I don't man. have the balls for that. I guess. No, it could be that you're yeah. better. You know that you're, you're firmer in your beliefs. So. I just. I, I like to just run from it, avoid it, pretend yeah. I can't see it. Yeah. All right. That's a good way to be. Anything else? Any questions for me? No, I just. I want number nine. Bring me back to number nine. Oh, absolutely. All right. That's cool. We'll talk USFL. All right, and we won't talk or about... Or we'll bring me back on when Trump is impeached after a month, after <laughs> a year. Okay? Come back on. So that means it'll be Pence, though, right? You want that? I would take Pence over Trump. You would? 
I would actually. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, hesi- he- with hesitation, I would. I wonder what the reality is of that. Like, who would, who would be the the lesser of two evils for someone like yourself? It's a fa- I would take Paul Ryan over either of them. I actually kind of respect Paul Ryan. I mean, yeah, I don't know. What can you do? Uh, the most frustrating thing about me for me is we had good candidates. We had you people. Did, that's the funny thing. It's so you frustrating. Know what? John Kasich. Kasich, Kasich would have been a Rubio. He would have been a wonderful others. president. He really yeah. would have been. Yeah. I wouldn't be up in arms about John Kasich. I wouldn't be up in arms about Jeb Bush's president. I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be like jumping up and down for joy. But I would have a hundred percent respect for those guys. They're legit. Anyway, what yeah, do you do? That's frustrating. Ah well. Nope. All right, you're the best, All right. Brad. All right. All right, I'll talk to you. Take care. Bye. All right, I want to thank Jeff Perlman for being on the podcast today. Also want to thank Jimmy Trena. Don't forget you can find this podcast, last podcast, and all 230 plus podcasts in the history of the sportscasters on our SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. We're still working on transitioning over to iTunes. So here's what's on iTunes right now. Every episode we've ever done except the last two. So for this week's and last week's you need SoundCloud, but for all the others you need you can go to iTunes. By the time we're back from Thanksgiving, they should all be on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else that you normally listen. So that is taking us a little bit longer than we wanted. Sorry about that, but for now, it's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. Don't forget you can get more information about that and other sportscasters type things on our Twitter page at sports underscore casters there you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com especially if you're interested in a book maybe playing through the whistle steal football in an American town by SL Price you can hit us up there Uh, also the Lonely End of the Rink podcast had its fifth episode we recorded it last night Uh, enjoyed that We had a Boston Globe reporter whose name I can't think of right now. Kevin DuPont uh, was on the podcast. You can find that also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash LonelyRankPod. And for more information, you can follow us on Twitter at LonelyRankPod. All right, a couple of other things. Uh, I want to read that plug one more time. Uh, Here's this. This is for my friend Kyle. He says, Armchair quarterbacks, your Sundays are about to get even better. A new free live in-game interactive app is about to hit the Apple and Android markets. FireFan will bring the game into your home like never before. You can now play along as you watch your favorite teams compete. Play in leagues amongst friends, against your favorite celebrities, or by yourself. All you have to do is pre-register at www.firefan.com and use the code BURNSY14 and you will receive special perks when the game is released this month. Again, the website is www.firefan.com, and the code is BURNSY14, B-Y-R-N-S-I-E-14. So check out uh, FireFan if you're interested in that. All right. I think that's just about it 
Uh, one last thing for tonight. I'm about to watch the Saints game. And they play like in 15 minutes. So I'm keeping this short so I can jump over and uh, and watch that. I want to say this about the Saints. I've enjoyed them this year. They've been the most likable 4-5 and five team probably in the history of the Saints. Uh, they've been in every game. Uh, they've found a way to throw me, to break me, to aggravate me. They've just gotten every emotion out, I think, this year. And all in a good way. The only time I was really, really frustrated with them was the Kansas City game. And that's because I knew that they were good enough to win it. And they were blowing it and making mistakes that was costing them a chance to win it. And I think that happens sometimes with the young team. You know, before I came in here to record this last segment, I was watching Drew Brees and Peter King. They were in the car together. And Peter was asking Drew, you know, this question and that question. And uh, he was talking about years in his career that he won a Super Bowl and Brady and, and, and Manning and the years that they won their Super Bowls. And I honestly think that this team can compete for a Super Bowl next year. I don't think they're quite at that level yet this year. They probably won't even make the playoffs this year. Uh, but they've grown so much, even from the first game against Oakland, especially on defense. And they're going to keep growing this half of the year. And they're going to have cap money this offseason. And they don't need to pay a tight end this year, I guess. So hopefully they'll spend some of that money on defense. And if next year they can get a little luck with injuries and get through training camp and have the 15th best defense in the league or somewhere around that, I really think they can win the Super Bowl next year. Uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about I'm excited about where they are, and, and I'm excited mostly because I feel confident that the Drew Brees era is not going to end with a whimper, but it's going to end with a team that's out there challenging, and it's going to be fun the last couple years of Drew's career and watching him knock records down every week, and hopefully leading one of the best teams in the league because I, I think the core is there for that still. So maybe I'm a little optimistic. Uh, maybe not, but I am excited. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Uh, There's a lot for me to be thankful for this year, of course. It's my first Thanksgiving with Paula, and I'm excited about that. Enjoy your time with your families. Don and I will be back after the holiday uh, to finish out Season 6 of the Sportscasters. <laughs>